When a local pastor moved on, the attendance at that church dropped. People moved to other churches in the area. We often do that, but the church is more than the personality in front. It is more than the music programs. It is more than any definition that we can give it. It is a living, breathing body of believers that come together in a palpable worship of Him who calls us to be one, His church, together, for Him, and no human body. Offering information for your mind. Enabling transformation for your heart. A weekly dialogue exploring God's Word and its application for today's world. Sabbath School U. My name is Josh Rosales, and today we will be studying about the church. But before we get started, let's introduce our guest and have them share something about themselves. My name is Marcellus Ashley, and um, if I could travel anywhere, um, actually, I don't think I'd choose anywhere in the world. I'd prefer to see other worlds or uh, interstellar travel. I want to see what else is out there. All right. Hi, my name is Tanya Muganda, and I'd love to go to Singapore. Never been to Far East Asia, so that's a dream for me one day. So it would be beautiful to see the different culture there and taste the different foods. So. Okay, very good. And my name is John Davis. So where I want to go is actually Tokyo, Japan. I've always, growing up, been fascinated with Japanese culture, with just their customs, their food, just so much about their life. So wouldn't mind going there. All right. Well, thank you all for sharing and uh, introducing yourselves. Now, John, would you like to uh, read, uh, share with us the, the Bible text as well as have prayer for us? Sure. Thank you. So I'm going to be reading John 17, starting with uh, verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. If you can just bow for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us this opportunity to come and talk a little bit about your word, Father, and talk about you and your church, Father. Guide our discussion, guide our hearts and minds as we just try to delve a little bit into the word and be with us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today's topic is very exciting. Uh, we're going to be talking about the church. And I know that in today's world with so many options out there, uh, uh, you know, you would be sort of inclined to say, well, you know, what is the relevance of the church? And that's why this topic is so important. And I'm so excited about that because uh, we'll, be, we'll be discussing that. And it's something that's uh, got a biblical foundation and we'll be uh, discussing that in, in a few minutes. So. What I would uh, like to ask all of you is, why is it so important to know that the church, as imperfect as it may be, is founded upon Christ himself? Well, in my opinion, I think that it's important to know the foundation of what anything's built upon. Uh, the, church is, the, the church being founded upon Christ is no different than a house being built upon a solid foundation. Um, when the foundation is rock solid, there, no matter what happens to what's on top of it, you know, the church can get blown down, can, be, can get beat up through persecution and all those things. But as long as the foundation, which is Christ, is solid, then we know that the church can still be rebuilt um, to even stronger, to, to be even stronger than it was before. So I think that's, that's really why it's important to know. Uh, definitely, yeah. I think that's, that's a perfect point that it needs to be founded on Christ. What's interesting um, is that, well, the, that, it being founded on fight, it all being founded on Christ unifies it, and that's sort of the the focus of the verse we just read is that um, yeah. 
God wants us all to be united as he and his father are united. But what, what took me further was that um, there was a purpose for that. Like it yeah. wasn't just, Lord, I want me and you are united, so I want them to be united. He specifically says, I want them, uh, can I just read it again? Oh, yes, and, um, and what you're reading? Uh, um, John um, 17, okay. 21, mm-hmm. yeah, 21. Okay. Um, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So the whole purpose of us being united and being founded on one foundation isn't for our own personal benefit. It's so that other people can then receive Christ as well. And they'll be founded on him. That's fascinating to me. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I wanted to add to what he said, and it's true. We don't um, God doesn't live for us. We will live for him. Right. So I think that also gets, you know, confused with the church. And it's true. If we, um, you know, the church is based on the foundation of God, then we're able to um, be united together in the church and worship, knowing that we are his creation. We're here because of him. We're here to glorify his name. So I was just going to add that. Thought. Yeah. And, and, and it's it's uh, important to, to establish that, um, to uh, know that we are founded on Christ, a cornerstone, right? And uh, um, Marcellus, you also mentioned the other aspect, the other important aspect of the topic uh, of the church, which is unity. I mean, why, why especially nowadays, is, is unity so important? I mean, we know that a, a foundation, a good solid foundation is essential, right? I mean, it's, right. it's, it's important uh, when you're uh, constructing a home or a building, uh, a church, right? But, and, and Marcel has talked about unity. Why is unity so important, especially in today's world? Well, I think in today's world, Josh, unity is something that we, we sometimes see less of. And when you look at other countries and the conflicts that, are, that have been going on in, in different places and in different parts of the world, the conflict in Russia and with Ukraine, it's all about, you know, there's a division and there's a separation. And because the people lack unity, they, they can't come together and actually reason together. You know, how the Bible says, you know, let us come and reason. You know, we, without unity, you can't see the other person's point of view. You can't see what someone else may be thinking. You're just pretty much set in what you want and what you think. And so that unity in Christ helps the church itself be focused on what its real mission and what its real purpose is. Yeah. And I was going to mention, I think there's so many cultural differences and different ethnic backgrounds and people have different ways of how they want to worship. Yeah. And it's hard to be, um, you know... Um, and unity, and I feel if we can get past those differences and come to a middle point, maybe the church can somehow, you know, not be as divided. So I think those are some struggles in the church. I mean, from experience, I've seen how people will be like, oh, it's too many old people. I don't want to be around old people. I need to be around young people. I want to be more postmodern worship or it's too traditional. So, but when we're united, then we have a way of just focusing on God and not more, more on what we want, but what we can you know, get out of um, what God wants us to worship. And and I'm glad you mentioned that example. Uh, I mean, Jesus tells us, uh, and he he prayed about his church and and, and for his church to be united. I mean, is it possible? I mean, you mentioned a few examples. I mean, we have now, uh, nowadays, you know, we have those those different, um, uh, I guess, churches, I guess we can say, where uh, it emphasizes or perhaps... uh, 
inadvertently they emphasize certain age groups um, can, can we find unity in spite of all these things or, or I mean can we follow what Jesus has asked us to do in the church is it is it possible um, I think it's definitely possible yeah. um, with you know even with all those things that kind of stumble us uh, there's some really important things. For instance, like the lesson studies, the Bible studies that we go through and we, and we do together, those are really important because those establish that unity because the church is more than just the physical structure. It's about the people that are in it and, and how we all work together to glorify God and, and testify of Jesus. So when we all can kind of come together as a group and as, as, as one, that, that really helps uh, to combat those things like uh, this church is a traditional style of worship as as you said, or also some of the other intangibles that we, we come across, those sometimes cliquish uh, uh, groups that we find, yeah. and we're able to just focus more on, on God. And I think if we let everyone know, it doesn't matter what gift you have, yeah. just come and use what gift you have in this church, and maybe that will help people to feel like, oh, I feel like I'm accepted, I don't feel like we're divided, and I think yeah. that can help in, in unity in the church, if you just accept everyone's different gifts and differences. Now, now there's way, but. yeah, and, and thank you about that uh, for that, uh, Tanya. Now there's a, the uh, a verse in Matthew, right, that talks about um, how to uh, avoid or, or handle these types of divisions. Would one of you care to read it? Uh, Matthew chapter f seven, verses one through five. Sure. Tanya, would you do the honors? Sure, definitely. I'll read that for you. Uh, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Those are some pretty... Uh, bold words, right? I mean, but why, why, what, is, what is it telling us? I mean, is it still applicable in, in our society today? Do we I, see that, a lot of that? I believe that it does apply. I believe part of the culture that we've become is a politically correct culture, so mm -hmm. we're afraid to sometimes say uh, or, or do certain things because we're afraid of the responses that we're going to get. And so the Bible isn't necessarily saying we need to go pointing at each person. We need to look first at ourselves. And then once we can understand what our faults and, and our weaknesses are, and we can begin to address those, that helps us and enables us to be able to go to our brother in love and be able to say, well, hey, look, I, I see that this is going on. Let me, let, let's talk. Let's, let's, let's work on this issue that you have. Instead of us going and saying, oh, you're wrong, or you're, you're just not, you know, you're not supposed to do this. You know, it, it helps us to, to establish our relationships with each other. Yeah, Marcella. Um, yeah, I think I think that's that's an important point you brought up that it's it's uh, interaction, right? That, that's, that this this is talking about interaction. It doesn't yeah. specifically say Jesus isn't condemning, although I think a lot of people use it that way. He's not condemning judgment. It just says, "Judge not, lest ye be judged." And then he goes on to explain how to judge. He says, "You you're you're trying to do something, but you can't see to do it right. So first, do this." And then you can see to do it right. He doesn't mm -hmm. say, first just handle yourself and that's all you should worry about. Yeah. He says, first do this and then you can help someone else. And um, Paul specifically says, if we can go to um, 1 Corinthians. Okay. 
Um, is it five that I'm thinking of? I'm speaking about judgment and the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, First Corinthians five, and I'm gonna go to verse twelve. Um, oh, whoops, no, that's okay. I probably need to start up a little further to get the context sure. on it. Yeah, um, go ahead. But now, I'm starting in verse 11. But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Oh, did I miss where I was trying to go? I'm sorry. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do not you judge those who are inside, but those who are outside God judges. Therefore, put away yourselves from this evil person. And so here, but here he makes the distinction that like, you're not, I'm not, when I say don't judge, I'm not talking about um, the people inside the church. You judge those people. We're supposed to take care of our brothers. It's other people that you're not supposed to do because you can't see correctly to do that. Does that make sense? To me, so you're, oh, go ahead. So you're saying it's not about judging other people? Or yes. It's yeah. more on the way how, judging how, how people worship or... Judge with righteous judgment. Okay. And Jesus is explaining how to judge with righteous judgment in this, in this scenario, in the Matthew 7 scenario. Okay. You're not saying don't judge. So there's a he difference then, between... He, then he says, the then after it, he says, then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother. Oh, so basically judge without condemning someone? Is that what I'm getting? No, no, or, no. <laughs> no, I'm now, just see, trying that, to That's the question it, that we'd have to because... move to is then what is, what is righteous judgment? Right, yeah, because I've heard a conversation from someone else who, um, I'm not going to say the name of the church, but they feel like there's no boundaries in this church. It's a lot of young people taking over, and they feel like, where do you draw the line without judging and telling them you can't worship this way or that way? So I don't know if that comes into play with that. Well, Tanya, I think we get confused uh, with judgment and correction right. because there's a very distinct difference. Judgment is final. Judgment is basically, you know, standing in front of, of a judge and saying, this is your sentence, and this is the result from your, from your actions, whereas correction is more of guidance. And I think Jesus calls us to guidance in all of this, that we're not necessarily to judge, but we're to see an issue and provide correction for that, for that person. And the important part of that is the relationship that we've established. And I think when Paul, uh, when, when Paul talks about not... Uh, Issue, that God doesn't issues the judgment for people who are outside the church, it's because we don't have that personal relationship with them. Because you can't really go to someone who you don't know and say, oh, you're wrong. The first thing you're going to do is become defensive. Whereas if you establish a relationship with your brother or your sister, you can then go to them in love and say, hey, this is what's going on. Hey, what's happening? And you, can, you have that relationship established. And that all flows back to unity. You, that relationship unifies you and that person. And, that, and as each... Uh, person develops a relationship with someone else in the church that found that grows them together and then they're all founded upon Christ so that creates that whole structure of unity of the entire church and one important aspect of this is reconciliation right and being able to to move beyond the the, the aspect that uh, the Bible is is warning us against uh, so why why is reconciliation uh, with an offended brother, a prerequisite for acceptable worship. I mean, can we worship while we're upset and someone else? I mean, 
I think it helps to uh, get along with everyone when you're worshiping God, because if you have a, a heart that's hard as stone or whatever they yeah. usually call that, then there's no way you're going to allow the Holy Spirit to come in you and to experience worship. Because I feel like when you can forgive and just be unified, you have a better way of just hearing what God has to say through Scripture. So I don't know if that's helpful. And I also know Consider. that, I'm sorry, and I know Jesus directly talks about it. I just don't recall where, but he talks about if you have unforgiveness in your heart, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And so if, if you're walking around and you're, and you're just, you can't reconcile a situation between you and your brother, you're now preventing yourself from entering the kingdom of heaven because you're, you're not allowing God to, or the Holy Spirit to come in and to, to, to foster that forgiveness and that love, which is what he's seeking from us. And one of the places he talks about that is actually in that same, that chapter, Matthew 7 is in the Sermon on the Mount. And in that same sermon, he says that if you, if you come to the church, if you come to the place of worship to bring your offering mm -hmm. and remember that you have something against an offense, something between you and a brother, leave your gift and go and, and reconcile that and then come back and, and, and you'll be able to give your gift. And so there's this, this notion of, of not even coming to praise God when you know that like, I, I have something wrong with, with you. I need to, yeah. we need to be right. So, so that, this uh, makes me think of, of, of the question that, that says, so what is the relationship between love and discipline? Hmm. I, mean, I believe the love and discipline go hand in hand because love allows, but when, you, when you're able, it's almost like a parent-child relationship yeah. because we do things because we love someone, but then also we know that because we love, we have to provide a framework for them to grow. And so discipline becomes that framework, that guiding lines, so that we know that if we cross, if we cross that line, there's a, there's a consequence because otherwise we're living in the world and we're living in a world of sin and, and thinking that there are no consequences. And so God has to provide discipline for us so that we understand that the wages of sin are death. And so and, and Christ dying for us allows us to see that love in that, that although, you know, sin is here and, you know, we have a sinful nature and, and we know the result of that, that I love you enough that I'm, I'm giving you a way out of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think love. You had mentioned something um, earlier um, about well, when I was talking about righteous judgment, and you were saying well, that's just um, the difference between judging and um, I forgot the way correction. You it. Correction. I think that love is that distinction, um, and I think it's the distinction between this judgment that Christ is talking about that you you have a plank in your eye mm -hmm. and not getting the plank out of your eye. I think love is is what, what plays into that. And that's what plays into the unity aspect of it, as you were talking about with um, the church and not judging outside of the church and judging in the church. That what should unify the church is Christ, which right. would give us a bond of love, which gives a, makes us able to to go to one another. There's a, there, that connection, but outside of it, then you start to you don't have the connection and the planks there. So it's basically dis discipline with love, you know, not disciplining with hate or you know critical judgment. I don't know if that. Makes yeah. sense, or yeah, because I'm also still trying to, yeah, see. Because how. I mean, um, w when you're 
I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a father, so right. it's, there's a difference, you know, when you discipline with, with love mm -hmm. and when you discipline with uh, something other than love, right? I mean, your approach is different. Uh, your demeanor is different. And, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and I think that as, as members of the church, uh, you know, or, or, or church uh, goers, um, it's important to keep all these things into consideration. I mean, because to me, I mean, or and what do you guys think? I mean, would, would it make different? Does the approach make makes a difference in, oh, in, yes. when, when someone is trying to approach someone else? And oh, it makes a big difference. Uh, I've been in many situations talking with people, and they they say they've gone to a certain church, and because of some particular issue someone didn't like, they said something to them, mm -hmm. and although each side believes they're right. And so the person who's correcting the other person feels, well, the Bible tells me I'm supposed to correct them because they, they didn't do what they, they're not doing what they're supposed to do or they're not abiding by this particular um, thing that God has us to do. And they're using the Bible as the reason behind why they're able to do so. But the person who's being corrected, they, there's no relationship. So they feel as if this is a judgment action. And so it, it's... It's very important that we understand that even though someone may be our brother in Christ, we still need to take the first step and establish that relationship first before we begin correcting. Because that's going to mean the difference between how the person perceives it as well, right. not just how we act. Well, something I noticed, though, is that I, I see a difference in me personally between mm -hmm. the two situations. Like if I'm, if I'm lovingly judging from the aspect of trying to correct, right, yeah, yeah. it hurts. It doesn't feel good to, to, for me to think about going to someone that I see doing something wrong and being like, how am I going to tell them this? Like, how am I going to talk to them about this? Whereas if, like, I'm just upset and I'm judging, it feels really good. Like, I, I get so cathartic about it. Like, I want to take my anger out on the thing that I'm judging then. Yeah. But the righteous way seems um, so much more or sacrificial, so much more painful. Yeah. I wanted to go off to of what John, sorry, John was saying earlier, like how people use scripture to give you discipline. Yeah. I think there's a way, appropriate way to use it um, and not go out of context because some people use certain passages and just be like, this is what it says. And if you do it this way, then this and this will happen. But I think there's a way to do it in a loving and uh, disciplined way to help a person understand where you're coming from without like just shoving it down their throat or anything. So yeah, like what he was saying, um, you know, you just have to be careful how you use scripture right. when you discipline. So. And, and uh, you're absolutely right. And one of the great things about uh, the lesson that we're studying um, today is that it, it gives three, three pieces of advice, right? It, um, it says, uh, before we do that, however, we should ask ourselves three questions. And the three questions are, is what I'm about to say true, right? And then the, other, the second one is, uh, is what I'm about to say edifying? Um, and finally, the third one is, is it possible to say anything in a loving way? And, and that kind of uh, touches on what you were saying, Marcella, that um, it, there's a difference in, in the approach that you take. And, and it, it not, not just a difference in you as an individual, but also the person that, that you're interacting with. So, you know, many times unity is threatened by nothing other than selfishness. How can we make sure that we're not guilty of jeopardizing unity for no good reason? Is it easy to just get off on insignificant tangents, for example, and, and, and make a big deal out of something that's not really worth making a big deal about? I believe 
first off, you should, before you go to, through any situation, you need to pray about it. So before you go to someone to correct them or, or to bring up an issue that may be bothering you, you need to sit down and just pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in what you may say or, or, or do, because that will help provide that clarity so that you understand you know, what your thoughts and what you may say may be doing. It helps answer those three questions about if it's edifying and, and if it's right. And so I think that provides the framework and the, gui and the guidelines uh, for making sure that, that you're continuing to promote unity when you're doing something or, or correcting someone or... Yeah. No, you're right, you're right. And, and that's, that's something that we should always keep in mind whenever we interact with, with our, our fellow uh, brothers and sisters or fellow church members. Uh, Tanya, did you, or did you want to comment on something, or was it Marcellus? Um, oh, you can I, go ahead. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you had a point. I don't know. I don't know. But what happens if you've prayed and you go to the person or you try to, you know, I guess try to work on unity and it doesn't really work? I mean, those are also challenging, you know, things in the church that I've experienced as well. So it does you know, happen. How do you, right. I mean, you've prayed and you've yeah. tried to come in a loving way, but they continue to attack and mm -hmm. they don't want to like back down. And they say, no, this is how I want to worship or, you know, how do you deal with that? So, yeah. well, I don't know. John? Well, Tanya, I know the Bible speaks directly about the situation and it says that, you know, if you first go to the person alone right. and they don't accept it, that to take two witnesses and it makes an important distinction that there should be two people who are not related to the situation in any way. Right. And that, perp that I believe the purpose behind that is so that the person who you're talking with doesn't feel as if we're ganging up upon them. Because sometimes we have a tendency to grab other individuals who have our same thoughts. So if we think this person shouldn't, you know, uh, be doing something. Oh, well, we, I know you don't think that, and I know you don't think that, so hey, let's go talk to this person because we both agree. Yeah. And so the idea is starting a, a dialogue. So if you get two people who may believe, this, you know, who are not related, that helps diffuse any potential conflict in the situation. And, and so and what, would, what would the next step be? So, so if the person, you know, if they still don't... don't uh, make any progress, for example, right? Um, is, is there another step that we can follow? Yeah, actually, the, the last step it talks about is to bring it to the entire church. And it's not to shame the person, as the Bible says. Mm -hmm. It's to so that we can basically help to guide them, so that we can offer prayer. We can do whatever we can, because as a church, we're supposed to do whatever we can for any one person. You know, it's we're supposed to have that same love and, and dedication, just as Jesus would go out for one person, we need to do the same thing for those who are in the church. If someone's not doing, uh, is doing something that they shouldn't, or they're involved in something they shouldn't be, if we've gone through all the other steps, the church needs to come together as one, and they need to know and understand what it is that person is dealing with. And, and we have to do it in love, right? Yes. And we have to do it while keeping in mind uh, the biblical principles that, that we've discussed uh, here today. Unfortunately, we're almost, uh, we're, we're out of time, actually. Um, so if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website at www.sabbathschoolu.org. That's www.sabbathschool.org. Remember, the goal of Bible study is information and transformation. It's for the head and for the heart. For Sabbath School University, I'm Josh Rosales.